All right, you guys can go ahead and grab a seat. I am so, 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 so excited about the word. Okay, it is a very simple, simple word as far as the idea behind it, as far as what it actually is, but it's life-changing, I promise. So my challenge would be tonight that as we're grabbing seats, as we're, as we're sitting down, as we're getting our stuff out, that we decide, I'm not just going to show up to church just to be at church. I'm not just going to show up at church just to mark it off my list for the week, but I want to grab hold of everything that God has. And I know I start that way a lot, but I truly believe it because I believe church can become so common to us that we just come, we sit, or we watch, or whatever we're doing, but we never really grab hold of the fullness that God has. And if we were truly to sit down and go, I refuse to be distracted. I refuse to miss one thing that God wants to say to me tonight. So can we all do that? Oh, my lands. Can we all do that? All right, perfect. All right, so we want everything. So everybody say, I'm super glad to be here and I'm gonna get everything God has for me. There we go. So you just keep telling yourself that all service long. All right, so we're gonna talk about seasons because I thought that that would be very appropriate for the weather we've been having. I really, I was kind of bragging to, I talked to uh, Chase in uh, Australia today and I said, I had all four seasons in 24 hours. And he's like, this is ridiculous because he saw the snow. But um, we really have, the, we could go from 80 degrees and then we have 14 inches of snow and then half of it's melted and then it's gonna be warm next week. We literally just went through all the seasons. But spiritually, how many of you know we can do the exact same thing in a 24 hour segment? that we can go from this spiritual high to I can't believe what's here. I'm so angry, I just wanna die to, oh, I mean, I guess things are gonna be fine. I don't know why I got so upset, right? We can do that in this short amount of time. So spiritually, our life can be a lot like what we just walked through in real life. But what I wanna talk about with seasons is I woke up this morning and I saw all the snow. And I look out the window and I looked at Oren and I said, I want a Christmas tree and a caramel apple spice, and a Hallmark movie in one of my beanies, and some chili. Like that was my list this morning, that I woke up and like those were all the things that came to my mind. Why? Because when we look outside and there's that much snow, it's Christmas time. We need a Christmas tree. I want to go people watch at the mall with all the wonderful smells of pumpkin and cinnamon coming out of Bath and Body Works because we know the entire mall smells like that store. Okay, that is what I wanted to experience this morning. But then I, so then my mom said, I, can you do service tonight? So I drove to town to get my caramel apple spice. And on the way back, as I was thinking about that, that's when this message dropped in my heart because I went, why? I did not want a caramel apple spice two days ago. Didn't cross my mind. That is my Christmas drink. I drink it at Christmas and then I move on to my normal coffee for the rest of the year. But at Christmas, I have to have that coffee. So this morning I had to have a caramel apple spice. So I drove to get it and I went, what made me want this? because it, the season changed, something was familiar, and I wanted this thing. I wanted chili, so I stayed here until Jesse brought chili for lunch so I could eat my chili. I wore my beanie. I don't have a Christmas tree, and I didn't watch a Hallmark movie, but the rest of my list got crossed off. But why? Because it was a familiar season that I was feeling, and I wanted the cravings that came along with that season. And so let's jump into our spiritual lives and actually get into something here, because we know April showers bring May flowers and September showers kill all the flowers. God gave me that. No, I'm just joking. Uh, it did pop into my head when I was praying, so maybe he did. But um, in our spiritual life, 
We face different seasons. We face dry seasons. We face seasons where we feel like we are flourishing. We face seasons that we feel like we're on top. Then we face seasons we feel like we're on the bottom. We face seasons where we're completely lonely. We face seasons that we don't know what if God even is still there and if he still has a plan for our life because we don't know what's happening, right? And especially in 2020, this has been a year of seasons out the wazoo. But we face all these things and in each of these seasons, we're gonna crave something. We're gonna go for something. We're gonna seek a source in every single season that we face in life. And what is that source? Seasons are gonna come, it's inevitable. Life is going to be like this. We live in a fallen world. We live in a world full of people that as perfect as they're gonna be, they are going to fall short. We are going to live in a world where finances are going to be up and down. We're going to face things where the economy is up and down, where the coronavirus can take out the country in like seconds. We live in that kind of world. It's going to happen. Stuff is going to happen. But what we do know is that we serve a God that's the same yesterday, today, and forever. God doesn't change. He remains the same. He is constantly faithful. He is always working behind the scenes. He is always out for our good. He knows what we're going to face tomorrow before we're ever there. He knows what we faced yesterday. He knows where we're at today. That's the kind of God we serve. And I want to remind us of that because it's so easy just to jump on like the negative Nancy train, right? Everything's falling apart. This is so terrible. Everything's bad. I mean, if it's hot weather, it's bad. If it's cold weather, it's bad. If it's raining, it's bad. If it's dry, it's bad. If it's snowing, it's bad. So what's good in your life, <laughs> right? Because there's something wrong with everything that we're facing. And you've been around where you just hear the constant negativity. There's constant, constant, constant. I wonder if there was just a little bit of positivity, if there was just a little bit of goodness, if there was just a little bit of the word spoken that, you know, I know we're facing this, but God is still God. I know we're facing this, but God doesn't change. He's not any more or any less faithful today than he was yesterday. He is still faithful in our life. And so I wanna jump into a story really quick. Um, we're gonna talk about the key ingredient that we need to live, if, if our God, I guess let me back up for just one second. If we serve a God that's the same yesterday, today, and forever, circumstances do not change God. What we're facing on our heaven is not wearing a mask and they are not shut down because of coronavirus, I promise you, right? We serve a God that is the same across the board, that he is ever good, ever faithful, his strength. He's not weaker today than he was yesterday, right? God is the same. So that being said, if that God lives on the inside of us, we have the ability to face what life throws at us and go, no, this doesn't change who I am. This doesn't change who God is. This doesn't change my faith. This doesn't shake me because I know who God is. But somewhere we have to have an ingredient in our life that's different than the ingredient in the world so that when we do face things, that we're not shaken the same way that the world is shaken, that we're not moved the same way that the world is moved. But instead we can say, no, I choose to stand in faith. I choose to stand on the word of God, that what, what, when yesterday, when I was on my spiritual high, that doesn't change because my circumstances changed today. So do we see that? But this key ingredient, we're gonna jump into that. Let's go over to youth, Ruth 1. And we're gonna see what this key ingredient is. My bullet points tonight are phrased as questions. So this first one is what happens when good turns to bad? And we're going to look at this real quick. And it says, Now it came to pass in the days when the judges ruled that there was a famine in the land. 
And a certain man of Bethlehem, Judah, went to dwell in the country of Moab, he and his wife and his two sons. The name of the man was Elimelech, and the name of his wife was Naomi, and the name of their sons were Malone and Chilion. Ephratites of Bethlehem, Judah. They went to the country of Moab and remained there. Then Elimelech, Naomi's husband, died, and she was left with her two sons. Now they took wives of the women of Moab. The name of one was Orpah, and the name of the other was Ruth, and they dwelt there about ten years. Then both Malone and Chilion also died. So the woman survived her two sons and her husband. All right, that's all of this story we're going to read. And I want to put it into our, our practical sense of what we're talking about in this season. Okay. They were living in a good season, right? Pre-famine, they had lived here apparently for quite some time. It seems like they had been settled there for, for a while. Okay, so they're living in a good season, meaning a season without famine. Famine is scarcity of some sort. So there was a lack that appeared that wasn't there before. So in this good season, they are perfectly content living there. This rocked my world. The Hebrew meaning of Judah is praise and thanksgiving. So they lived in a place of praise and thanksgiving when everything was good. As soon as there was lack, as soon as good turned to bad, they left the place of praise and thanksgiving and went somewhere else. How many times in our life do we, are, is it easy to praise God when everything's going good? It's easy to praise God. It's easy to be thankful when everything is going like it's supposed to be going. When I see God's word coming at work in my life, when my family, everything's going good, when school's going good, when work's going good, when my finances are good, it is easy to praise God. But how often that as soon as famine hits, as soon as lack hits, as soon as then we leave praise and thanksgiving and I'm gonna go provide for myself. Remember, they left the place over here that they were provided for. There was provision in this land. There was praise and there was thanksgiving, but now I need to provide for myself and I leave the place of praise and thanksgiving. Things start to die in our lives when we leave the place of praise and thanksgiving. When we leave the praise and thanksgiving behind, things will die. Why? You're like, wow, that's harsh. God just kills us when we don't praise him, huh? No. That's not the kind of God we serve. And sometimes we think that, that I'm not, everything's going bad because I quit praising God and I missed church on Sunday. So of course God will let this happen to me. Okay, that's not the kind of God that we serve. Okay, in Psalm 95 too, it says to come into his presence with thanksgiving and into his courts with praise, right? Okay, so the key to the presence of God is praise and thanksgiving. So when we leave the key to God's presence and we choose to leave God's presence because now I've distanced myself from the presence of God because I have left praise and thanksgiving behind me. I've left it out of my life so I can provide and attain something in my own strength. Then I've removed myself from the protection of the presence of God, which means if it's not God, it's the enemy who only comes to steal, to kill, and destroy. So God didn't do it. I've removed myself from his presence by leaving praise and thanksgiving out of my life. Two things the Bible says to not cease doing, and that's praying, and that's thinking. Two things. And as soon as we cease, then we come into his presence with thanksgiving, meaning if there's not thanksgiving and praise in my life, I'm not getting into the presence of God. That's crazy. So now I've left this place and things start to die in my life, not because God has caused that. And I'm not saying physical things like, well, hope your husband and wife don't die because you weren't thankful today. That's not where I'm going with this. But Thanksgiving being 
the things that die in our life, it can be spiritual things. We can see finances take a plummet. We can see jobs. We can see there's things in our life that are going to die. Things that were once good, things that were thriving when we were in the land of praise and thanksgiving. And now we come over here to Moab to provide for ourselves and things that matter to us, they start dying. Things that are close to us, they start dying. Why? Because I've removed myself from the presence of God. I've gotten rid of the key to the presence of God. That's praise and that's thanksgiving. I have distanced myself from it. And now now I've opened the door to the enemy. John 10, 10 says that the thief come to steal, to kill and destroy, but I've come to give you life and life more abundantly. So when I choose to position myself in the presence of God, I'm opening the door for the life of God to work on my behalf. I'm opening the door for the life of God to work in my finances, in my marriage, in my home, in my job. And whether I see it or not, I know that I've positioned myself in the presence of God and God is working even when I can't see him. And we believe it that way. But as soon as I distance myself from the presence of God, then I've opened the door for the enemy to be at work in my life. It's not God letting it happen. We've distanced ourselves. We've stepped away from the very thing that God has given us to guide. Think about the presence of God. The Ark of the Covenant all through the Old Testament represents the presence of God. It led people into battle. It led them across the Jordan River into the promised land. The presence of God, outside of the presence, there wasn't protection. There wasn't a direction to go. The presence of God leads, it guides, it directs, it protects. So when we distance ourselves from that, through something as simple as not praising and not being thankful, that simple, then we see what happened with, with Ruth and her family. Um, let's keep going here. So the second point that I have Actually, I want to read one verse in the Amplified before I get to the second point. Let's go to 2 Thessalonians 5.16, but I'm going to read it in the Amplified. And it says, be happy in your faith. Oh, yes, that was right. You were right. My Amplified is different than your Amplified. And rejoice and be glad-hearted continually and always. Be unceasing in prayer, praying perseveringly. Thank God in everything, no matter what the circumstance may be. Be thankful and give thanks, for this is the will of God for you who are in Christ Jesus. Can you go back just one verse? I just want to read that thankful part right there. Yeah. Thank God in everything, no matter what the circumstance may be. Be thankful and give thanks, for this is the will of God for you. No matter what we're facing, we have a reason to be thankful. No matter what we're facing, are we thankful? It says in all circumstances, no matter what the circumstance may be, be thankful for this is the will of God. How many times do we ask, I just wish I knew the will of God for my life. I just knew, be thankful in all circumstances. And then it says to pray without ceasing. And so there's a value on praise. There's a value. Why? Because God knows my presence is wherever there's somebody being thankful. My presence is accessed through thanksgiving. And so when there's a group of people, when there's a person that says, I choose to be thankful no matter what, then they have unlimited, constant access to my presence in their life. And you see things change. You live different when you're in the presence of God constantly. And that's why prayer and thanksgiving are so important because you can constantly be in the presence of God. So point number two, the question for point number two is what happens when it costs you something? See, the presence of God should have value in our life. And Ruth and, and her husband there that, see, they had, they were living in a place of praise and thanksgiving, 
but it was very easy for them to walk away and provide for themselves. And so many times in our life, we can get to a place where praise and thanksgiving, yeah, they're important to me. Yeah, the presence of God is important to me. Worship's important to me. Church is important to me until something goes wrong. And then suddenly all of this is important to me. I can go fix it myself. But there's another value of the word that says, or the value of, of the presence of God that says, I don't care what it costs me. I don't care what I'm going through. I am going to seek the presence of God. I am going to be in the presence of God. At any cost, at any expense, I choose to live thankful. I choose to live praising who God is, but I choose to live different. I choose to be in the presence of God no matter what. Not a circumstance in life can pull me away from that. And I want to look at that right here. Um, Let's go to John 20. And I'm going to paraphrase the, the beginning part of this story. And then I'm going to pick up in, in 20. In chapter 20. Okay, so the first part of the story that I want to paraphrase is that before Jesus went to the cross, it says that Mary came and him and the disciples were at a house and they were eating and Mary came and she brought this costly, costly, costly oil, very expensive oil. And it says that she poured it out on the feet of Jesus and that she began to wipe his feet with her hair. Why? Because this was, in, this was showing, I value you. This was a showing of honor. This was a showing of worship. This was saying that you're worth more than whatever this is that cost me so much. So this perfume was so valuable, so costly, and she just poured it out on the feet of Jesus as an act of worship. Okay. So the question in this point is what happens when it costs you something? And as she's pouring it out and as she's worshiping Jesus, it says that Judas speaks up and he's so upset that she's pouring this costly thing. She's pouring something out that's costing her so much to worship Jesus. Okay, Judas was a disciple. Could it be that he got so common in the presence of God that people that valued the presence of God bothered him? That Jesus' presence became so common to him because he was around him all the time. He saw miracle after miracle after miracle after miracle. He was with him through, through everything. And now someone is worshiping him. And, and the rest of the disciples, I don't know how their response was, but you would think it would be like, oh my gosh. It would almost be a conviction. She's pouring out everything at the feet of Jesus. She is so, she values his presence. She values who he is so much. She has so much honor that she would lay down everything at his feet because she believes, she knows who he is. I mean, she heard the miracles that he did. She heard the kind of person that he was. She heard this. And so her knowing this is I choose to lay down everything and it bothered Judas. And Judas was frustrated at what had taken place at the feet of Jesus. He was frustrated that something that was worth so much money was poured out. I wonder how many of us have people in our lives that, you know, that you go, no, I want to lay down everything for my Jesus. 
I know that there is nothing else in this world that can fulfill me, that can satisfy me, that can give me what I need outside of my God, outside of Jesus, outside of his presence, that there is no place that can fill me. There's no place that can give me the answers that I need. There's no place that I can get and be who I'm supposed to be outside of the presence of God. And so I choose that I'm going to lay aside everything. It might be time with friends. It might be the, the job that I thought I should have that I'm going to make millions. I can't, I just don't feel right about it. And I need to, I need to listen to what Jesus is saying. I choose to position myself at the feet of Jesus and give him everything of value in my life, all areas of my life. I'm laying down everything. That's what this is representing. And I wonder how many of us maybe have people in our life that go, wow, cost you a lot to serve Jesus cost you a lot. Look what you could be doing on the weekends. Look what you could be doing. Look what you could be doing here. Look at you, what you, who you could be if you weren't so tied to that Jesus, if you weren't so tied to that. How many of us have that? Or how many of us are that? That it would offend us to see someone else pouring out their all. Why? Because maybe we feel convicted. Maybe we feel a little bit convicted that we go, man, I don't, we don't know the season everybody's in. We don't, nobody hardly knows the season that we're in. But when we're talking about seasons, we're talking about praise, we're talking about worship. Do we criticize other people's thanksgiving and praise in the midst of their storm because we wouldn't handle it the way they do? Or when we're walking through something and we're trying to be thankful and we want to praise and we want to worship because we want the presence of God and someone speaks down on us, here's my question. Do we jump on board the negative train and go, yeah, you're right? Or do we stay and go, I don't care what it costs me. I choose to pursue the presence of Jesus. Which one? Where are we at with that? Which one are we? Because we know that that is more valuable than anything else that we can have in life. Is that we choose. But it's so easy to hear someone talking and jump on that bandwagon than it is to just say, I don't care what it costs me. I'm staying right here. So now let's jump forward. Same Mary, Jesus has died. Okay, so what season is this? Because we're talking about seasons and we talked about Ruth going good for bad. Then we talked about the season where it's gonna cost you something in this season because you might get made fun of a little bit. People might be talking a little bit. People don't understand why you're laying down so much to be in the presence of God and do what God's called you to do. So there's that season, but now there's this season. Okay, we're showing up at the empty tomb here. Jesus has died. And I know you're like, oh yeah, I mean, we read that every Christmas or every Easter, wrong, wrong holiday. Um, but Jesus has died. And let's put ourselves in the story a little bit though. Okay, Jesus, the one that is supposed to be coming to save everybody, the one that we've seen miracles, we've encountered, he's dead, okay? But then he dies at a young age. When someone dies at a young age, all of us are like, I can't believe that he's dead. I can't believe that he died so young, right? I mean, it's a horrible, horrible thing. Okay, so not only is the Messiah dead, not only is the King of Kings dead, but then if you think of the reality of the situation right here, you're like, he died at a young age and he's supposed to be God's son. Okay, this is a crazy season. That if we actually put our, I've never put myself in the story to go, what if he died? I mean, he did die, but what if I was there and he died? How would I feel? Would I believe that he said that he was going to rise three days later? Would I believe that he said that there's a helper coming? Would I believe all that? Or would I be like, he's, he's dead, right? He's dead. So she finds herself in this situation. 
And let's pick up in verse one here. And it says, now the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb early while it was still dark and saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. Then she ran and came to Simon Peter and to the other disciple whom Jesus loved and said to them, they have taken away the Lord out of the tomb and we do not know where we, they have laid him. Peter therefore went out and the other disciples were going to the tomb. So they both ran together and the disciple outran Peter and came to the tomb first. I kind of wonder if that other disciple was John just because he wrote this book. Like, I just want everybody to know that my shoes were faster than Peter's. <laughs> and he, stooping down and looking in, saw the linen cloths lying there. Yet he did not go in. Then Simon Peter came following him and went into the tomb. And he saw the linen cloths lying there and the handkerchief that had been around his head, not lying with the linen cloths, but folded together in a place by itself. Then the other disciple who came to the tomb first went in also. And he saw and believed, for as yet they did not know the scripture that he must rise again from the dead. Then the disciples went away to their own homes. Okay, so first, I want to just want to lay one foundation. Mary was at the tomb. Why was she at the tomb? Is my question. Why? I mean, he's dead. But she came to the tomb. My thinking is she valued the presence of God so much that even him being dead, I'm going to be wherever Jesus is, dead or alive. I'm going to be where Jesus is. And so she's at the tomb. She finds out that he's not there. She tells the disciples, it says that they go away to their own homes. But then let's look at this. In verse 11, it says, but Mary stood outside the tomb weeping. And as she wept, she stooped down and looked into the tomb and she saw two angels in white sitting, one at the head and the other at the feet where the body of Jesus had lain. Okay, stop there for a minute. Everyone else went home and still Mary's going, I'm going to stay here. The same Mary that is washing his feet is the same Mary that's saying, I want the presence of God. I have a value. So this point, this question is what happens when life is unexpected and it doesn't seem like God is even there? Those times in our lives where we feel like God isn't there. Okay, Jesus literally isn't here. Everybody else went home and about their business. Mary's saying, no, I'm still going to position myself. I am still going to be in a place where I can encounter the presence of God. Even though it seems like God's not here, I'm going to be here. And what does she see? Okay, she sees two angels. And it seems like a simple thing. Have any of you seen angels? Like there's two angels sitting there. She saw something miraculous because she chose to stay. But then the story gets better. And it says, then they said to her, woman, why are you weeping? And she said, because they have taken away my Lord and I do not know where they have laid them. Now she had said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there and did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to her, woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? That's the key question here. And I'm gonna keep going with the story, but I wanna stop on that phrase. Whom are you seeking? When life is unexpected, when life is unexpected, when life seems like not, God's not around anymore, who do we seek? Do we seek friends? Do we seek our own identity? Do we seek money? Do we seek, you fill in the blank. When life's unexpected, when it seems like God's not around, who do we seek? Is it Jesus? Is it his presence? Or is it something else? What is that thing? Everyone else was back home. Mary chose to seek Jesus. And so she's here and it says, whom are you seeking? She's supposing him to be the gardener said to him, sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have laid him and I will take him away. Jesus said to her, Mary, she turned and said to him, Rabboni, which is to say teacher. 
And Jesus said, do not cling to me for I have yet, not yet ascended to my father, but go to my brethren and say to them, I am ascending to my father and your father and to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene came and told the disciples that she had seen the Lord and that he had spoken these things to her. Okay, because she, she chose in an unexpected season in a season that it seemed like God wasn't around anymore, Mary chose that I'm going to keep seeking. I'm going to stay in a place where the presence of God was because I'm, I'm gonna stay where I know to stay because I want to see Mike. I'm gonna find him. I'm gonna stay here because someone's gonna tell me what they did with him, right? I want God so bad that I'm gonna position myself to stay in this place. Jesus revealed himself in a way to her that no one else ever got to see. Think about it. No one else got to see Jesus that way. Only Mary. And I wonder if we were to seek after the presence of God without stopping, without going, it doesn't seem like God's around. I'll come back another day. It seems like maybe I'm just, I just hit a dead end. And we quit, quit praying and we go back home. We quit praying and we go back somewhere else. I just wonder that if we were to seek and we were to press in and go, I'm going to stay in a place where I can encounter the presence of God, that just maybe Jesus would reveal himself in a way to you that no one else has ever seen and then tell you to go tell him about it. Look at that. Had she gone home, who would have seen Jesus? Had she gone home, he would have shown up, I mean... I mean, I think he would have still shown up to the disciples, but I don't know. She stayed in that place. And so in this season, when we're talking about these seasons, the praise that she had for him, the thanksgiving, that even in a season, she said, I'm not leaving. I'm staying here. Do we have that pursuit in our life that in every single season that we say, I choose to press in. I choose to stay in a place that I can encounter the presence of God, whether he shows up or not. Okay, he's dead. So her thought that he's going to show up is in a dead way, right? But he's still going to show up and that was good enough for her. He's dead. And so when we position ourselves in a way that says, I'm going to encounter Jesus no matter what. I don't care what anybody says. I'm going to stay in a place no matter how he shows up. I'm going to stay here until he shows up. And he did. And the way he revealed himself is absolutely miraculous to me. I've never seen that before that I went, it's the same Mary. But then let's switch characters in the story for a minute. Where was Judas at this point? Where was Judas at this point in the story? He was dead. He hung himself. He's dead at this point in the story. So the lady that is pouring out everything because she has so much value for the presence of God in her life that no matter what it costs her, she's gonna stay in a place of worship. She is gonna stay in a place of praise and she's gonna stay in a place of thanksgiving is the lady that now sees Jesus revealed like no one else has ever seen. But the guy that questioned the cost that she was paying to be in the presence, traded it in for silver and has killed himself at this point in the story. Why? Because the presence of God didn't have value to Judas's life. There was more value in the things of the world than there was in the things of God. And therefore he got stolen from. Why? Because the enemy comes to steal, to kill and destroy. And so he's, he's now, he's off himself. So Judas is dead at this point in the story and she's encountering Jesus, the same Jesus that she was worshiping. I wonder if she would have got up 
when Judas was making comments to her. I wonder if she would have got up and said, you're right, it costs too much. You're right, this is silly. It's costing me too much. And she would have got up, I wonder if she would have been at the tomb. But because she had a habit to say, I value the presence of Jesus so much that I know that I can't be without him. I don't care what it costs me because I know who I'm worshiping. That she went at that same fervency to the tomb and said, I don't care what it costs me. I don't care how long I wait. I don't care what the situation says. I don't care. Now put that in our life. I don't care what the bill book says. I don't care what the doctor says. I don't care what this says. I don't care. I'm going to stay here till I encounter Jesus because I know if I encounter Jesus, I can get something from him that I will never get from anybody else. And, and Mary knew that. Meanwhile, Judas, who didn't value the presence of God, had no value in the presence of God. The presence of God had become common. Judas was with Jesus all the time. Judas was in church all the time. Judas was here, but it had no value. Judas wasn't going to allow what God wanted him to do to cost him anything. In fact, he was going to trade what God wanted him to do in for money. He was going to trade the purpose of God in for money. He was going to trade it in for something that he would rather have out here because he had more value on the things of the world, more value on money, more value on these things than he did on the presence of God. And it cost him his life versus Mary. So let's keep going. Our next bullet point question is what happens when you're doing all you know to do and it still isn't working? Okay, I am praising. I am thinking. And I'm not seeing anything happening. I'm doing everything. I'm in the word. I am trying to be in worship. I'm in the presence of God. I am trying to go everywhere that God says to go. I'm being everything that God wants me to be. And it's still not working. Let's see what happens there. Let's flip over to Acts 16, 16. It says, now it happened as we went to prayer that a certain slave girl possessed with the spirit met us who brought her masters much profit by fortune telling. This girl followed Paul and us and cried out saying, these men are servants of the most high God who proclaim the way of salvation. And she did this for many days. But Paul greatly annoyed turned and said to the spirit, I command you in the name of Jesus to come out of her. And he came out that very hour. But when her masters saw their hope of profit was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace to the authorities. And they brought them to the magistrates and said, these men being Jews exceedingly trouble our city. And they teach customs which are not lawful for us. Being Romans to receive or observe, then the multitude rose up together against them. And the magistrates tore off their clothes and commanded them to be beaten with rods. And when they had laid many stripes on them and threw them into prison, commanding the jailer to keep them securely, having received such a charge, he put them in the inner prison and fastened their feet in the stocks. Okay, again, they were exactly where God told them to be, doing exactly what God told them to do, and now they're thrown in prison. And now they're beaten with rods. Now I know none of us are in prison because we're at church and I know none of you have been beaten with rods because you all look wonderfully healthy this evening. But sometimes spiritually we can feel this way. Sometimes spiritually we go, I feel like I'm taking a beating. It is one thing after another. I get hit, I get hit, I get hit. Maybe the, the being drug in front of everybody with no clothes, I'm humiliated. I'm, I'm trying to do everything and it's just not working. And now I'm thrown in not just the prison, but the inner prison, which is where the sewer and everything stay in the prison. So now I'm thrown here. I'm trying to do everything and I don't see anything working. Okay. 
Praise is probably not the first thing that comes to your mind in that situation, right? It's definitely not mine. One, one little thing can happen in the day and we're like, well, I must've messed up because God's not here today or everything's negative or everything's, but okay, this is not just a little thing. Like they are thrown in the inner prison for being where God told them to be, for being obedient to the word of God. They are in the inner prison. At this point, Saul would be like, well, or Paul, but was Saul. He wished he was Saul at this point in the story. But no, he didn't. He says, but at the midnight hour, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. Praying and singing hymns to God. In James, it tells us to count it all joy when we fall into various trials. Count it all joy. Why? Because the joy of the Lord is our strength. So if we don't have joy, we don't have strength. So the joy of the Lord when you fall into various trials. So they said that they're praying and they're singing hymns at the midnight hour, meaning the darkest hour of the night, the darkest hour of whatever we're walking through. When everything seems to not be working out, I'm doing everything God is asking me to do. I'm trying to be as obedient as I possibly can and I don't see anything working. And at that darkest hour, we can complain, we can curse God, we can speak the problem, we can ask why, we can say, I don't understand. We can say, you don't know what I'm going through. We can say all of those things. Or we can pray without ceasing and we can think without ceasing, which unlocks the presence of God. And they chose to sing and they, they chose to um, pray. And it says, suddenly there was a great earthquake so that the foundations of the prison were shaken and immediately, oh wait, I skipped a part. Oh, and the prisoners were listening to them. And the prisoners were listening to them, which means other people heard what was coming out of their mouth at this time. The other prisoners were listening to them. So in the deepest, darkest storm slash season slash day slash whatever we're facing in life, when we are doing everything that we know to do and there's still all this going on, what are other people hearing coming out of our mouths? What are other, are they hearing the word of God? Are they hearing us praising God? Are they hearing the opposite? Because it's amazing to me how many of us will speak the problem, speak the negative, speak this side, but then we're like, can you pray for me? No, pray for yourself. You speak the word of God in your situation. Don't expect someone else to do it. If you can't speak God's word, don't ask me to pray God's word. And that's the truth. But everybody wants prayer, but they don't want to speak it because it's easier to speak the problem. I get more sympathy that way. If I speak God's word, I have to act like I believe it. And so when we're in this midnight hour, they chose to sing hymns where the other prisoners heard them. So if the other prisoners are hearing them, then they're saying it loud enough where it's without a question what took place in that person's life. I wonder if we miss out on the fullness that God has, the chains falling, the prison doors falling, the breakthrough that we're trying to get through because we are speaking the problem while praying something else in secret, but speaking the problem to everybody else. And so then you get your miracle and they'd be like, oh, well, he spoke negative the whole time. How'd that happen to him? If God's going to show up, it's going to be without a question that it's God. And so when I choose that I'm going to speak the word of God, when I'm facing situations, when I choose that I'm going to, I'm going to praise and I'm going to think and everybody else is going to hear it, then it's not a doubt when that thing happens because I'm expecting it to happen. And sometimes we got to make ourselves believe ourselves by speaking it out loud. So we got to keep speaking it. Faith comes by hearing, by hearing the word of God. But then when we speak the word of God, we activate our faith. And did you know that the power of God is activated when we speak the word of God? The power of God is not activated when you speak the problem. 
the enemy's power is spoken. So now you're speaking, stealing, killing, and destroying over the situations in your life when you could be speaking the life of God into those situations. But that takes way too much effort sometimes. That takes way too much because I would rather tell you my problem so that you would feel bad for me. But if I just spoke the word of God, then you would feel like I didn't have a problem, but I would really rather have your sympathy. And we laugh and we're silent, but we know all of us do it. Right? And then we end it with, but I know I'm just, pray for me. Right? That's how that conversation ends every time. Pray for me. Okay, do you want me to pray what you're speaking or pray what the word of God says? Because those are two very different things. My, my challenge question right there that I challenged myself, I wasn't gonna challenge you guys with it, but does your life look like the promises of the word of God? And if it doesn't, we're probably not speaking them. Because the Bible says we'll have whatever we say. Life and death are in the power of the conch. Choose this day whom you'll serve. Life and death have been set before you. There's blessing and there's cursing. We have access to put the power of God in activation in our life. Or we have access to release the power of the enemy and the situations in our life. And it all comes from our tongue. All of it from our tongue. So they keep, everybody's listening to them. And suddenly there was a great earthquake so that the foundations of the prison were shaken and immediately all the doors were open and everyone's chains were loose. And the keeper of the prison awakening from sleep and seeing that the prison doors opened, supposing the prisoners had fled, drew his sword and was about to kill himself. But call, Paul called with a loud voice saying, do yourself no harm for we are all here. Then he called for a light, ran in and fell down trembling before Paul and Silas. And he brought them out saying, sirs, what must I do to be saved? So they said, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved, you and your household. Okay, here's the other thing about praising during one of our storms is the story really isn't about your storm. It is so much bigger than your storm. It's about everybody in your life that you have ability to influence and impact. And so if we're cursing our storm and we never see the breakthrough in our storm, that jailer never would have experienced the love of Jesus. Maybe he would have somewhere in some other story that we never read about, but for the sake of our story, he wouldn't have encountered Jesus like he did that night because Paul chose that I'm going to praise. Why? Because if Paul and Silas are praying and praising in the midst of their storms, that means they have access to the presence of God, which means they're in a place that says, we see the bigger picture. When God crushes us down, we don't need to run for our lives. I mean, God just crushed it down. Why would I run and hide, right? So if God's crushing these things down in my life, why would I need to run and hide from other situations that God has opened up doors for me to speak into the life of someone that's right here, right around me? When God has opened that door up for me to be able to speak there, I don't need to run and hide from the situation that was holding me bondage. You're walking free from an impossible situation because you chose to praise, because you chose to think, because you chose to pray and encounter the presence of God. I'll just um, quote this one, but uh, Philippians 4, well, actually we gotta go to 4.11, so we might as well read 4.6 while we're there. Philippians 4, 6, and 11. Six says, Be anxious for nothing but in everything with prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. Let your requests be made known to God, and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds. Prayer, supplication, thanksgiving. Two things without ceasing. Prayer, thanksgiving. Two things, and it says, in the peace of God that surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and mind. 
but it comes through prayer. It comes through thanksgiving, two things. And then 4.11 says, not that I speak in regard to need, for I have learned in whatever state I am to be content. Can we say that? Whatever state I'm in, I'm content. Whatever state, we'll keep going. And it says, I know how to be abased and I know how to abound. Everywhere and in all things I have learned both to be full and to be hungry, both to be abound and to suffer in need. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I can do all things. We, we know that scripture, but the one before it says, I've learned to be content in all areas of life. Just imagine that. It seems impossible, right? It seems impossible for us to be content even for a day because there's just gotta be constant something wrong. That if we could just be content to go, no, I'm just, I'm just content with who God created me, the plans and the purpose. I know all this is going on, but I'm content because I know who I serve. Because I know who my God is. So Psalm 91, we started this entire thing with, with Ruth and her husband dwelling in a place of praise and thanksgiving. And then they fled when something happened. And my question for us tonight is where are we dwelling? Where are we living? Because we have that choice. In Psalm 91, see people quote it all the time, but the first two verses are conditional. And sometimes we skip over those. So two things here, it says, he who dwells in the secret place of the most high shall abide under the shadow of the almighty. Okay, we can't abide under the shadow of the Almighty if we're not dwelling in the secret place of the Most High, which is the presence of God. So if I'm not dwelling, if I'm not choosing to live in the presence of God, I'm not abiding under the wing of the Almighty or the shadow, the shadow of the Almighty. I'm not, I'm not abiding there if I'm not dwelling in his presence first. If I'm not dwelling in the place of his presence. And so where are we dwelling? We have that choice. And then the rest of this applies. And the second thing it says, I will say of the Lord, he is my refuge and my fortress, my God and him I'll trust. Okay. If I said, who's your TV provider? Who is it? Direct TV. Who's your TV provider? Netflix. Who's your TV provider? Direct TV, right? Okay. So if I said, who's your provider? The first thing that pops into your mind is it. Um, Iron Ridge LLC? Is it Francis and Sons? Is it Honeycut Rodeo? Who's your provider? Is that the first thing that pops into your mind? Or is it God? Right? Okay, this is what I want to go here. It says, I will say of the Lord that he is my refuge and my fortress. Who do we say that he is? Because sometimes we know what he does, but we don't actually speak who he is in regards to our life. So when you're, when you're speaking, do you say, no, I, I, serve, I serve my God. He is my protector. He is my strength. He is my hope. He is my guide. He is my wisdom. He is, and you can fill in the blank, he's my comforter. Who, who is he to you? Do we just say he's God? I mean, that's kind of a, a lot. God, he's God. He is God. However you say it, it's God. And that's cool. But it's, God's not necessarily personal to me. See, God wants a relationship with us and that's why it has us dwell in his presence. That's why he says, I want to know you. I want to have relationship with you. And knowing some, if I don't know you, I would be shocked at some of the things you do, right? 
Like that's why like one of the get to know you names is like write down two truths and a lie and then you got to guess like which one's the lie and which ones are the truth. Okay, some of us would lose that game with God. Because we're like, you do that? We, we would. But you, when you get to know somebody, you learn about all the things that they do. But then as you grow in relationship with them, you know what you have, and this sounds bad, but it's not. You know what you have access to in that relationship with them. Okay, I know that if I need a hammer, I'm calling Kenny. Because I know Kenny sells tools, right? But if I don't know Kenny, I just need a hammer. And I don't know where to get it, so I'm going to go to the hardware store. I'm going to go somewhere, you know? And so when we know someone, we know what we have access to. When we know the presence of God and we spend time in the presence of God, then without a doubt, I go, oh no, he is my protector because... He is my healer because, he is my hope because, he is my strength because, because that's, that's just who he is, right? I know what I have access to. I know the attributes that I have access to and I can say who he is in boldness because so many times when we are seeking things outside of God, it's because we're seeking something, we're seeking a result through someone or something else and it's always going to be secondhand. It can never, I can't, I can't go to the world and seek joy. Joy only comes through the Spirit of God. Does this make sense? So I can't go out here and seek something. And all God's saying is, I just want you to seek me because it's not something I have to give you. It's who I am. And that's who lives inside of you. It's who he is. It's the essence of who he is. It's not something he just wants to give us. He wants to be there with us. He wants us to recognize that we're not praying from here to way up there for him to drop a magic box for me to deal with my situation. He wants us to realize that, no, first of all, you're positioned up here with me and I'm standing right here with you while you're facing what you're facing. I heard it this way the other day, that say your friend's in the hospital and they call you and say, hey, I just, I need, I need some stuff to read. I'm in the hospital. I'm going to be here for about a week. Well, as a good solid friend that you would be, you would drive yourself to the hospital and you would drive those there books and you would drop them off at the front desk and you would go back home and go about your business. Or, as a good friend, would you take the books into the hospital, go up to your friend's room, bring him the books and his favorite shake, chat with him for a bit, see how he's doing, see what he needs done at home? Which one, A or B? B, right? Okay, that's how our God wants to be with us. He wants you to know that, hey, I'm, I'm here with you while you're walking through what you're walking through. I brought you what you need, but I'm here. I'm so much more than just dropping the books off on your desk and telling you best of luck with them. That's not the God we serve, but sometimes that's how we feel. That God, if it's not too much of a convenience, could you swing by and drop some books off at the front desk so I can get my healing? But that's not the God that we serve. If we're dwelling in the presence of God, then we know that God's right here with me. He has and is all that I need. He is all that I need. Do you believe that? Psalm 23 says, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not... Do we want? The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Sometimes we miss that not word and we go, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall want. Lots of things. I shall need. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Meaning he is everything that we need.